Hey, look, can I just ask a question? Who are you? Like, I mean, in all seriousness, like, who, who are you? Like, if, if you had to get up here and define who you are, what would you say, right? What would you say? Some people would say this, that you live in a house or you live in an apartment, that you work a job or that you go to school, that you are, here's who you are, that you live on a street, <laughs> it has a name, it's got a house address, right, in a neighborhood, in a town, in a county, in a state that's in a country, that's on a planet, that's in a solar system, that's in a galaxy, that's in the universe. And some people would say, that's who you are, right? That's your identity. But that's a very worldly perspective on who you are. What's the reality of who you are? What does God's word say that you are? Because I don't know about you, but although that other description had some pretty cool things, like I'm on a planet that's on a solar system in a galaxy that's a part of a universe, like that's pretty cool, right? That takes little, little me and makes me a part of something really big. I don't care. I want to know what does God say I am, amen? So look, what I'm getting ready to give you is something you're going to want to write down. And if you don't have this written down, use our Version notes, right, on the app, Version, And go search for events and find New Life Church right now because all the scriptures are listed. Or go back to this sermon at mindnewlifechurch.com uh, and watch it again, this little portion, because I'm going to tell you right now, somebody in here needs to hear who you really are, okay? Who are you really? Here's how it all starts. It starts like this. First, here's what starts to define you. The God sits on a throne over his kingdom. I know, look, the first description was all about you. And you thought the next one was going to start with you. But who you are starts with who he is first. God sits on the throne over his kingdom. Psalms 103, 19 tells us that the Lord has made the heavens his throne. Okay? And from there he rules over everything. That's where your story starts. That God sits on the throne over his kingdom. Next, you need to know that everything was created by God, but it was for God. Okay, it wasn't first for you. It was created by God for God. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities and un of the unseen world. Everything was created through him. And for him, he existed before anything else, and he holds it all together, guys. This is who you are, though, okay? You, you are part of a creation that was created by God, and it was for God. And this creation that you're a part of, you're only seeing part of it. In fact, I would say this to all of us. We're only seeing a small portion of it. You're seeing what your natural eye can see. You're not seeing what your spiritual eye can see yet. But one day you will. And if you're not in awe of God with what your natural eye sees, your spiritual eye is definitely going to be in awe of him. You see what I'm saying? So that's, that's who you are. You, here's the reality of who you are. Right? Planet Earth is the centerpiece 
of creation, but it's just for this season. Because we know that one day this season's over and this earth is no longer. But for now, you are on a planet called earth that is the centerpiece of all of God's creation. Now, don't mistake what I'm saying. It's not the geometrical center of the universe. What I mean by that is some people believe that somehow the Bible depicts for us that earth is at the center of all the known universe. And I just want you to know right now, there's no science, no science has backed that up. And there's nowhere in scripture that says that you are the geometrical center of everything. Although we like to think that about ourselves, don't we? Yeah, we put ourselves in the geometrical center of everything. And we like to think that about God, but here's what God did. God said, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put earth at the center of creation. That's where you find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God's the one that made earth a centerpiece of creation. Here's who you are. You were put on this earth by God. Genesis chapter 1, again, in verse 26, it tells us, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Then let me tell you who you were, who you are. Your life is given purpose by the king. You're not just aimlessly walking on this planet, but your life has been given purpose. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I get so many people asking me, like, what's my purpose? That's the wrong question. The wrong question is, what is my purpose? The right question is, how do I seek him more? Because when you seek him more and you find him, he promises you'll walk out his purpose. See, guys, we, we got to start asking the right questions because we make our life all about us when the whole thing I'm telling you so far is you want to know who you are, you got to know who he is. You have to know who he is because it's out of him that you are. Lastly, who are you? God's eyes are actively watching you. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, the Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. So lean in and listen to me. That includes everyone in the room, whether you're evil or you're good. God's watching you. He's watching. What does that mean? It means that God cares, that God loves, that God's desperate Right To be a part of your life. He's hungry to be a part of your life. He wants you to seek him and to know him. This is your identity. This is your place from a God-centered perspective. You were created by the king for the king. Would you just turn to somebody that you love and that you care about? And if you're not sitting next to someone you love and you care about, just stare at someone across the room like you love them. And just look them in the eye and tell them you were created by the king for the king. Come on, tell them. This is who you are, church. I don't know about you. It's a much better ending to the story than just to say that I am one small human being in a universe someplace. That lives on a street someplace. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's a way better ending when it's not all about me, when it's all about him, that you were created by God for his kingdom. And that means that your greatest significance comes from this, knowing the king and serving the king. That's where your greatest significance comes from. It's not about how much money's in your bank account, how many grandchildren you have, although that's pretty cool. Right? It's, it's not about what address you have on a street someplace or what neighborhood you live in. 
or what title of what job you have. It's nothing about that. It has nothing to do with how much money you make from that job. You see what I'm saying? Like, your identity isn't from those things. It's about, your significance isn't from those things either. It's from knowing the king and serving the king. Serving the king by using what he's giving you to advance his kingdom and to advance his agenda. So the question today is this, okay, what is God's agenda? What is the desire of God's heart? And what is your part? That's the question. What is God's agenda? What's the desire of God's heart? And what is your part? That's the question we need to be asking today. You can find the answer to that many different places throughout Scripture. I'm thankful to the Lord that he didn't just give us the Bible and only put that answer in one place. You can find it in multiple places, okay? But today, I want to take you to the place I think that fits the best. It's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, right? How many guys have ever heard of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? Come on, let me just see your hand real quick. All right, how many guys have actually read that in Scripture, right? You've read it in Scripture, how many of you guys have read it? Now, don't raise your hand on this one. How many of you guys have read it in Matthew? How many of you guys have read it in Mark? How many of you guys have read it in Luke? How many of you guys have read it in John? It's not a trick question. It's not a trick question. It is the only miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus that's recorded in all four Gospels. So, what does this tell us about this miracle? It's the only miracle other than the resurrection. Let me just say this to you it's important. You should lean in on this one. This one's way more than just a group of people that get fed bread and fish. Although that's pretty stinking cool in the miracle all by itself. Right? So this thing is, this story here is no accident. This encounter with Jesus is no accident. But how does it all start? It all starts on one dark day. One dark day, Jesus is meeting with his disciples. He's doing ministry. He may have had a crowd around him because Jesus often had a crowd around him doing ministry, right? Healing the sick, teaching them about the kingdom of God, teaching them about who they are in Christ. What I just told you, that's the kind of message Jesus was giving the people. You're not just some farmer that walks around on this earth that stands behind a plow. You're not just some fisherman that throws a net. Let me tell you who you are. It should have been a bright day, but it was a dark day because all of a sudden Jesus got a message that the forerunner of his, John the Baptist's friend, has now been beheaded by Herod and he's no longer on the planet. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, it tells us that once Jesus heard this, he left on a boat. He got his disciples. He goes, guys, let's get on a boat. It's time. we got to get away. I just need to be alone. So Jesus took his disciples, and he got them in a boat, and they left from the western shore of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Tiberias, and he heads across to the eastern shore of the lake to be alone. But everywhere Jesus went, crowds followed him. Why? Because he healed the sick. He was good. People loved him because of his compassion for them and meeting their needs and displaying the power of the kingdom of God. And this was no, no accident that the people noticed Jesus got into the boat. They saw where he was going and the people ran around the lake. That just tells you how slow the boats were. John 6, John 6 verse 3 
It tells us that then Jesus climbed a hill after they got to the eastern shore. He climbed a hill and he sat down with his disciples around him. Just to be alone with them. As he's mourning the death of John the Baptist. But Jesus is also going to seize this moment. He's going to teach his disciples something. But then verse 5 says that Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. You know, the first person that found him were like, we found him. We found him. He's up there. Come on, guys. Come on. Bring your sick. Bring your lame. Bring out your dead. It's a Monty Python quote, by the way. Sorry about that. Let me come back. Crown the people, right? So he saw this crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, Jesus asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? Watch this, though. I love it. He was testing Philip. You've got to get this, right? For he already knew what he was going to do. He already knew it. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have compassion on these people. I'm going to feed them. But I'm going to teach my disciples a great lesson in all of this. Guys, how in the world are we going to feed all these people? And Philip takes the bait. Kashonk. Right? He takes it and he runs with it. I love John's account of this whole story because it tells us that Jesus was the one who noticed that the people were going to be hungry and the people were going to need to be fed. Mark tells us about the story that Jesus had compassion on them and that he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. And so that the Bible says because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd, he didn't just feed them instantly, but he said that he began to teach them. He began to teach them about what? The kingdom of God. I want you to watch this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all three give an account that's almost similar to one another in this, in this context. That they all point, they all paint Jesus as oblivious to the fact that it's night, that they're in a remote place, and that the people are going to be hungry. Three of those who wrote the Gospels, they paint Jesus as oblivious. And here's how it goes down. Matthew says this to Jesus. Jesus! Like, look, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Matthew, you can almost hear it, like he's speaking about himself, like, Jesus, we're out here in the middle of nowhere, sun's going down, where are we going to stay? What am I going to eat, Jesus? You almost hear this kind of context from Matthew. Mark, he says this to Jesus, Jesus, let these guys go buy something to eat, like, basically, like, shut the sermon down, it's getting too long. Shut it down. Let the people go get something to eat. We're going to have a riot on our hands. These people are hangry. All right, you get it? Let them go buy something to eat, Jesus. We can't afford this. Come on. Let them go. Say amen. Finish the story. Luke, Luke does something completely different. Jesus, he goes to Jesus. He goes, Jesus, send the crowd away. How many nights do we have to have the crowd with us? Basically, like, one more day? Send them away. Let them go do their own thing. I liked it better when it was just the 13 of us. Right? 12 plus you, Jesus, if you didn't get that math. <laughs> right? Like, you got these three different disciples all throwing out this picture that Jesus doesn't know that they're in a remote place. Jesus doesn't recognize they're hungry. That the disciples are the ones that have to come to the rescue of the master who's lost again, 
teaching the people about the kingdom of God and is not even concerned about the time of day. We know that that's not the case because Jesus wasn't oblivious to their needs. He was giving them their very best. See, here's what's true about you and me. Our our human need and God's best are two different things. Right? What we think we need and what God knows that we need, they're two different things altogether. Jesus was recognizing this. Jesus was the one who was following the very same rhythm of his ministry from day one to the day he hangs on the cross to the day that now he sits at the right hand of the Father to the day that he comes back for his church to the day where the power of the Holy Spirit is moving. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is showing his heart for humanity. That means this, that Jesus always cared more about their soul than he did their stomach. Jesus always cared more about their eternal than he did their temporal. And sometimes you and me, we get frustrated with God because we're like, God, don't you care? Yes, he cares. He just cares about something different than your need many times. He cares about something that's going to last forever, not something that's just here for a moment, flash in the pan, and it's gone tomorrow. you got to remember Jesus had compassion on the crowd. That's what the Bible tells us. That's the consistency of Christ. He had compassion on them. So what did he do? He taught them the kingdom of God first and foremost. I suggest to you that Jesus fed them secondarily just so that the disciples who were sitting on the sideline listened to Jesus talk about the kingdom of God so that the disciples could participate in the miracle of salvation. That's why Jesus fed them. Jesus fed them physically to back up what he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Hey guys, look, I want you to know about my father. My father's good. My father can be trusted. My father loves you. He's got a purpose for you. My father cares about you. My father went before you. My father created all things. You are in his kingdom. You were created by him, for him. He loves you. He cherishes you. He's the best of the best, the greatest of the greatest. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Oh, let me back it up with something tangible. Let me feed me feed your stomach. And when the stomach is full from the miracle of the the, the, the biting of the bread and the fish, what happens in the heart of humanity? Faith rises up. Faith rises up and goes, the message he said is true. He is the son of God. He is Jesus. He is God. I suggest to you that Jesus fed them physically, tangibly, so that the disciples could participate in the greatest miracle of all time, the miracle of the saving of their soul. And you and I were invited to participate in this very same ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says this, that God has given you and me, he's given us this task of reconciling people to him. This is what God's always done. He's been this way. He's always been this way. He will always be this way. Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It's what we're seeing here. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So that we, so that you, church, you become Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through you, church. And that you would speak for Christ when you plead with the world, come back to God. It's not a ministry just for the disciples. It was a ministry for all of us, including you and me that sit here today. Can I just ask you? How's that ministry going for you? 
if I, gave, if I went around with the microphone and I said, hey, give, give an account of the ministry that God's given us. Tell me about how you've helped to reconcile someone back to Christ. Give me an account of how you've helped plead with someone that they would come back to God. T tell me about the person in your life that, that you've helped walk back to Jesus lately. Not 10 years ago. I'm talking about like last month. Like last week. Tell, tell me about how's the ministry. This is what God's given us. Like how's it going for you? How effective have you been in it? I think some of you right now are squirming in your seat and you're like, please don't do that. That would be very embarrassing, Jeff. I don't even think I can come up with one story to share. But it's the ministry that he's given us. So here, I'm going to let you off the hook. I'm going to give you good news for a moment, okay? If you're a kingdom builder, let me just tell you, if you're a kingdom builder, right, here at New Life Church, then, then you're helping to proclaim the wonderful message of reconciliation every single month. That's good news, church. You're a kingdom builder, you're helping, you're helping. You're a part of the ministry of reconciliation. If you're a kingdom builder, you're pleading with the world to come back to God. If you're a kingdom builder, that's what you're doing. That's what we're doing through our kingdom builder partners. Now that doesn't let you off the hook just to write a check. Okay, so please know that. Like we're still having this ministry here where we live. We are the missionaries to central Nebraska or wherever it is that you live while you're watching this. Right? But if you're a kingdom builder, you're participating in the ministry of reconciliation. How wonderful is that to know? Amen? Come on, man. One of the very first kingdom builders ever to walk the earth in the New Testament is the young boy of the story. The young boy, you know the young boy that has the five loaves of bread and the two fish? He is one of the first kingdom builders, and we can learn a lot from this young man. John unfortunately, is the only one that tells us anything about the young boy. And that's about all he tells us. He's a young boy. I equate young boy to like middle school boy, which makes the miracle even greater, if you think about it with me for a second. What middle school boy actually still has a lunch? Right? Middle school boys would have eaten that lunch and still been hungry for the next second lunch. You see what I'm saying? Like middle school boys, they feed one stomach and they got a whole other one called their right leg. And they just shove it all down in there somehow. Like they just keep eating and eating and eating. Middle school boys are eating lunch thinking about dinner. That's what middle school boys do. All right? So I think that's what makes the miracle even that much greater. And the disciples went out and found the young boy only because Jesus is the one who, who tested them. How in the world are we going to feed all these people? And Jesus sends them out to see what kind of food is out there. But guys, when the disciples went... The disciples didn't go with this idea like, wow, we're going to find enough food with these people to actually divvy it up and feed everyone. No, the disciples didn't even think it was possible. I mean, look what Philip said in John chapter 6, verse 7. He said this, if we've worked, Jesus, look, how are we going to feed these guys? Well, check this out. Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. So here's what I picture. I picture the disciples being sent out, you know, amongst the crowd going, hey, any of you guys got any food? You guys got any food? We're going to try to feed the crowd. Now listen, if you're in a crowd of 5,000 plus women and children, and someone comes around with this message that is less than, than inspiring, and you're thinking to yourself, like, you're going to take my little food, and you're going to feed the crowd? That's impossible. There's no way we can do that. And the disciples didn't even think it was possible, guys. They didn't think it was possible. This is exactly the way we get 
when it comes to the kingdom of God at work on planet earth and how God wants to use you and me. We often look at this whole thing called the kingdom of God and we go, what can my little part do? My little part can't do anything. Like how in the world are we going to feed eight billion people who walk on planet earth today, by the way? It just recently switched from seven billion to eight billion and those billions are racking up faster and faster and faster. Right? Like, what is my little part going to do? How is my little part in the middle of Nebraska going to plead with 8 billion people to come back to Jesus? My little part can't do anything. The disciples were there and they were like, we can't do anything to feed the 5,000. What can we do? We can't, we don't have enough money. We'd have to work for months to make this happen. There's nothing, Jesus, we can do to impact this crowd. And I just want you to know today, the disciples got their eyes on the crowd. We get our eyes on the scope of the mission And we just think that the crowd is too big. I'm going to tell you today, it's not the size of the crowd that matters. It's the size of our God that matters. The disciples got their eyes on the crowd instead of their eyes on Jesus. They got all consumed with, like, the mission's too big. What can my little part do? What can my my couple of coins in my pocket do? But they forgot about the size of their God. And I'm here to tell you today, guys, the size of our God loves and cares for the 8 billion that walk on planet Earth today more than you or me could ever. And the young boy started to capture that, I believe. The young boy may have been the only one in the entire crowd who started to capture it. Why? Because when the disciples came by and said this to him, hey, young boy, do you have any food? Because we're trying to feed the entire crowd. The young boy got the young boy look in his eye. And he was like, you're gonna, you think you can take my little, my little lunch and feed this entire crowd? I gotta see this. Here you go. Like there was something inside of him. Something leaped on the inside of him. And he was like, here, give it a shot with mine. I don't know what you can do. I've never seen this miracle before. Right? I've never, I've never seen this happen, but what can you do with mine? And he gave it away to them. Do you honestly think, I mean, look, just get human for a second. Out of 5,000 men plus women and children, nobody else had food. Come on. Moms in the room, you of all people should know that when you went on the road or you went across town or you went to Walmart with your kids, you always had snacks in your bag for them. You always do. We went to the Husker game yesterday, and my wife packed snacks for me. (laughs) Right? There's more food in the crowd. I'm telling you, be logical about it for a second. Let's paint the picture from black and white to color for a second. There had to be more food. But this is what I believe really happened. The young boy was the only one who was willing to trust Jesus with what he had. So the young boy is the only one that gets to participate in the miracle. Because the young boy said, what I have, Jesus, it's yours. You can use it. Everyone else said, what I have, it's not going to do anything to this massive crowd. It's just enough for me. And so they kept it for themselves. And they said, shh, shh, don't say a word. We know we got that turkey in the bag. Don't say a word. Don't you say a word. You know I packed that pumpkin pie. It's for us. We're not sharing this. It won't do anything for these people. Saving it for us. Don't you say a word. It was that mom's look at their young boy. It was like, don't you do it. 
you'll get it. When, our, when we get home, I'm going to tell your father, right? You know that whole thing. You know the whole thing. Like, that's what was going down in the crowd, guys. But there was only one, the young boy, who said, yes, I'm going to trust Jesus with what I have. And watch what D- Jesus does with it. John chapter 6, verse 10. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they sat down on the grassy slopes, and the men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus, he took the loaves, and he gave thanks to God, and he distributed them. Say distributed. He distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they ate as much as they wanted after everyone was full. Say full. Man, this was no appetizer smorgasbord. This was no, like, happy hour with Jesus, guys. This was an all-you-could-eat buffet, right? After everyone was full, Jesus told the disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Come on, somebody. Powerful. Can you, why I had you say distributed is because what was really going on? You know what I can see? I see Jesus having fun with this. If you don't see Jesus having fun with this, it's probably one of the reasons why your Christianity isn't very fun. I see Jesus going, hey, Peter, come here. Come here. Come here, Peter. And he takes one piece of bread, he sticks it behind his ear, and he pulls out two. That's what I see him doing. I see Jesus going, hey, Peter. Peter. Hey, go long, Peter. Go long. And he throws one chunk at him. And when he gets down there 20 yards, it's like he gets pelted with 50 pieces. That's what I see. I see Jesus going, hey, hike me, hike me the piece of bread, hike me the fish, right? And as he passes it off and it jumps into someone's basket, it's not just one piece, but the basket goes kaboom to the ground. Like, whoa, where did all those fish come from? Like, I see Jesus having fun. I see Jesus honoring both the Father, but just having a blast. I see the people sitting around going, how in the world did that little kid's lunch feed us all? And then all the leftovers are left over. Here's the moral of the story today. You, you're the young boy in the story. And here's what God's asking. Will you trust me with what you have? And will you trust me that the little that you have can go farther than you ever dreamt possible? Jesus, Jesus in the story, well, you guessed it, he's Jesus. God is God. No one's replacing God, but Jesus took what you and me were willing to trust him with. And he worked a miracle that doesn't just feed the stomach of people, but feeds their soul. Transforms thousands that day into believers. And salvation, salvation erupted through the crowd. The disciples, who were the disciples in the story? Well, the disciples are our kingdom builder partners. We gave out of what we had to the Lord. The Lord took it, he multiplied it, he distributed it to our kingdom builder partners who then went amongst the people and did their ministry of reconciliation, bringing the bread and the fish to the people. What are the leftovers for? That's a great question. I think it was God's way of proving a point to us. That if we give him the little that we have, he can do way more with it than we ever dreamt possible. That's what I believe the leftovers are for. Today, today we're face-to-face with a miracle offering. Today we're face-to-face with a need of $134,502 to be exact as of Friday at noon. Okay, so if you gave this week, 
and it was online, and, it, and we were able to find that before noon on Friday, then I was given this report. So yours is a part of it already. But we're, we have a need, $134,502. It's the difference between what we have all given, okay, through Kingdom Builders this year versus what we committed to give this year. It's a need. Kim and I are bringing what we have. And not to brag, because this is not to brag. This is just to let you know that we're all in. We're just bringing, we're bringing what we have. We're bringing, five, we're bringing 5,000 today. On top of what we've given throughout the year, monthly. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm not saying that to point the attention here. I'm saying it for this one reason, one reason only. I believe that when we bring what we have, God does something miraculous and he feeds the 8 billion with the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And salvation happens around the world. I just happen to believe that as a leader, that I am not asking you to do something that I am not willing to sacrifice on my own. So that's why Kim and I are participating today with what? Joy in our heart. We're a little giddy, actually. We're like, who gets to bring the check to church? And she was like, you can bring it, Jeff. And then I forgot it, so she got to bring it. Duh. So I filled out the envelope. We're in this together. So what will you do? Will you trust God with the little that you have? Your five pieces of bread and your two fish? It's not all that you have. It's just will you trust him with the little that we have? And will you give it to the Lord? Will you be a kingdom builder today? And will you participate in the greatest miracle of all time? The salvation of souls. Why? Every dollar given represents a soul. Every soul matters to God. I received a, an email on Friday that I had to include into my message today. So I wrap up with this. A miracle took place right here in our Kearney campus last Sunday. A college girl, single college girl, emailed me on Friday to let me know what happened. She says this to me. She goes, I wanted to show you, Jeff, exactly what happened last Sunday, considering I couldn't believe what happened. As you were talking about Kingdom Builders, I thought, I wish that I could be a part of something like that, but I don't have much to give. <laughs> and just five minutes after I passed the offering bucket along, I found $70 just chilling in my Bible in the book of Job. Sometimes I feel like I get mixed signals from God, but I think it was pretty clear this time that it's not my money that I just found, but it's God's. I will be giving it all this Sunday. And I'm so glad to get to be a part of Kingdom Builders in a bigger way than I originally thought. The little, the young boy became a single college girl. Who became your pastor. Who now is challenging you. What will you do? So today we get to be a part of a miracle. Let's just bring the little that we have. And let's trust the Lord to do something miraculous. And in two weeks, I'll give you the update on what goes down. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, today we discover once again and through your word that you are good. And that you have a bigger agenda at work than what we could ever imagine. You weren't just feeding their stomachs, you were feeding their soul. 
You weren't just doing one miracle that day, but you were modeling something for us today that, Lord, you care about people. You want them to know your kingdom, and you'll, you'll reach out to them in a tangible way, whatever that means, putting roofs over people's heads, feeding them, setting them free from addiction, rescuing them from human trafficking, taking care of children and women and men, meeting them in prisons, giving them Bibles, and the list goes on and on and on that represents our Kingdom Builder partners. But Lord, you care about people, but yet you, you want us to participate in it. And so you ask us to trust you with the little that we have. So Lord, that's what we do today. We trust you with the little that we have. And we say, God, will you multiply it? Will you do something that blows our mind away? We may never know about it this side of heaven, but Lord, would you take the little we have and would you use it to advance your kingdom? Because God, we discovered today that it's your kingdom. You put us in your kingdom to serve your purpose. And may that happen today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.